Today we celebrate what people often call Easter. Other people, because of the pagan semblance of that, calls it Resurrection Sunday. And I believe the biblical name for it is First Fruits. But whatever you call it, we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty. I've heard it said that for the first time in almost 2,000 years, churches are empty. But that's okay because the tomb is also empty. And so we're celebrating His resurrection regardless of whether it's in the confines of a building or in your homes, because that's where we should be celebrating our faith anyway, is in our homes. And so I want to talk a little bit about the resurrection, but I also want to tell you that Resurrection Sunday was not the only day that Jesus was here on earth after his crucifixion. For you see that Jesus was on earth for 40 days after that resurrected Sunday. And he appeared numerous times at various places to the entire group of apostles or to groups and to other believers. And sometimes some of the apostles wouldn't be together and like Thomas, when the other apostles told him that Jesus had risen from the tomb, he goes, I'm just not going to believe. I'm not going to believe until I see his nail-pierced hands and his side because I was there. I saw them crucify him and I know he's dead. And Jesus appears to Thomas without asking any questions. He goes, here, Thomas, place your hands. And Thomas says, my Savior and my God. And we've come here not to just celebrate a man who raised from the dead, but the Son of God who raised from the dead. Now it's interesting, and I'm going to start the message with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 1, it says, Paul writing says this to the church at Corinth. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you were also saved, if you hold fast the words which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now it's funny, gospel means good news. That's what gospel means. And the announcement of the gospel was there at Jesus' birth. And the good news continues to his death, burial, and resurrection. But it's interesting that good news starts off with what we would call bad news, his death. But the gospel is good news because Paul's going to explain what the gospel is in some very short words. So he says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Paul is saying this is key. You may believe in various doctrines or have disputes as to free will versus predestination or uh, 
rapture versus whatever, or you may have all the kinds of theological debates on what is a proper baptism. But Paul says this is the one most important element. It's of first importance. But I receive, also received, so Paul says, just as you are taught it by Christ, I was taught it by Christ, and I'm going to preach what Christ taught me. And he said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You see, Christ just didn't die. He died according to the scriptures. Now, some look at it as saying, well, Jesus followed the various prophecies predicted of him, kind of like checking off boxes. I kind of have a different view. My view is this is what Jesus did, and this is what the prophets foretold Jesus would do. It wasn't Jesus kicked off boxes. The prophet said, this is how you'll know the Messiah. This is how you'll know the man who dies and is buried and is resurrected because the scriptures tell you of him. Now, the scriptures also talk about another person who will die. That's spoken of in Revelations, and it says that there is this antichrist, if you will, and Satan always, while he's the father of lies, he never has, seems, an original thought. He copies God. And so if Jesus died and raised again, then his minions will do the same. And so Revelation says that he would receive a mortal head wound and then rise again and many people would be amazed and follow him because they do not understand the scriptures. The scriptures foretold that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, would die in just the way that Jesus did. But he not only died the way the scriptures said, but he died for a reason. He died for our sins. And he was buried. And I might add, though Paul doesn't, according to the scriptures because he was placed in a rich man's tomb that was borrowed. And Isaiah predicts the very same thing. And that he would, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The fact of Christ's resurrection is testified by the scriptures. It is testified by the Holy Spirit. It is testified by the women who went to the empty tomb. It was testified by his disciples. It was testified by those who came in contact with him over the 40-day period. The fact of Christ's resurrection is assured. It is a fact of history. Josephus even discusses it. So when people say, well, only the Bible talks about it, Jesus is mentioned by the Jewish historian Josephus. And so Paul is going to say 
that he did these things according to the scriptures. So it was a testimony of that. And then he said, and he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter. Then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Now we have this idea that somehow Jesus was a failure in ministry, that he only had 12 disciples and some women, and one of his disciples betrayed him. And yet, the scripture says that he appeared to 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. That's Paul's way of saying that they've passed away. Paul is saying the fact of the resurrection is sure because there are eyewitnesses to it. And Paul is saying, if you want to know, you doubt me, go to Jerusalem and talk to the eyewitnesses and they will tell you. You see, most myths happen hundreds of years after the event and usually in a different place. But the fact of Christ's resurrection takes place immediately after his death, burial, and then resurrection. And there are contemporaneous witnesses to it. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. So again, Paul is saying that Jesus' appearance at the resurrection was on numerous occasions to numerous peoples in numerous settings. And we can be assured. And then Paul says, And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now, if you doubt all the other white eyewitnesses, Paul's an excellent eyewitness of the risen Savior. Because it was his zealous duty to persecute the church, to arrest and see that the believers were condemned until the resurrected Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. So even to Paul, Jesus appears. Now, the Gospels were written, and as John says, he wrote the things that he wrote that we might come to belief. It is interesting because we have the scriptures which testify of Jesus. But yet there were those in various other parts of the Middle East and other places, what was called Asia Minor, we call Turkey, and in Greece and other places, that did not see the resurrected Jesus. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gave the witnesses such power that their testimony fell on believing ears. And the scripture says in John that, yes, it, mu it must have been a fantastic thing to see Jesus having watched him being beaten and abused and mocked and crucified, his body bloodied and torn apart wrapped in some cloth, and to see him alive and strong and beautiful, and yet still with the marks on his hand inside. 
But the scripture says, as blessed as that was, it is more blessed for those of us who have not seen and yet believe. And so for those of us who have not seen and yet believed, because we believe the testimony of the scriptures, we believe the testimony of the Holy Spirit, we believe the testimony of the Father, we believe the testimony of those eyewitnesses, God has caused us to have faith. And by having faith, as the scripture says, that our sins are forgiven. An awesome benefit by the good news of Jesus' death burial, and resurrection. And then there's another benefit for believers in verse 42 of that same chapter. And it says this. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. By believing in Jesus and his resurrection, not only are our sins forgiven, and not only is it that we have life and have it eternally, we will have a resurrected body, a body that will be imperishable. Right now, this body has a shelf life. You can live and never get sick, and yet your body will age, and there will come a time that it will cease to function. Others of us will get diseases or illnesses and die from those things. Others may die of accidents or other tragedies. But the believer is promised not only just eternal life, but a resurrected body that is no longer subject to pain or disease or heartache or all of those other things that we will be and have a body like Jesus. Now, people in, in Paul discusses that because they go, well, we don't quite understand this new body and whatever. And, and Paul kind of is abrupt with him and says, you fool. And he says, you know, when you plant a seed, what comes up as a plant isn't the same as the seed. And he's saying that's the same way it is with our body that when it'll be resurrected. This body was built for earth until we sinned. And then it was built to decay. But this new body will never decay. And then Paul tells us there's another benefit to the resurrection. And in verse 50 of that same chapter, he says this, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does a perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul is again renewing the, the fact that we do not receive this body. We do not receive the resurrection based on who we are, but what he did for us, our belief in him. So our flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. But Jesus allows us to. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Now again, Paul uses the term sleep, not because he doesn't want to use the word death. 
In our culture, we don't like to say die. So we say kick the bucket or we say they passed on or, you know, they, they did whatever. We have all kinds of numerous sayings for death. But Paul's not saying sleep because he's thinking that, well, I don't want to upset people about saying the word death. He's saying your, your body is asleep, but you're not dead. And so he doesn't use the word death because those who have fallen asleep in Christ aren't dead. But we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, which is nanoseconds, it is quick, a twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is said. And I want to stop there. It's kind of perishable, unperishable. It's back and forth. The best way to describe it is Paul saying, you're taking off the old ratty clothes and you're putting on ones that never get soiled, never wear out. They're different. You've removed the old and you put on the new. It says, and it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And Jesus died for our, so there's no longer sting because we've been forgiven. And the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't earn the victory. We don't merit the victory. We acquire the victory because Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried and was raised again according to the scriptures. And the whole celebration of the resurrection, whether we call it Easter or Resurrection Sunday or First Fruits, is a celebration of the entire gospel. It's not just that he raised from the dead. It is that our sins are forgiven, that our, we are now no longer subject to death, that we have eternal life, that our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and that we will live in his presence forever. The most vicious enemy is death, and death has been defeated. So, what do we do with that? Paul, in another book in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, talks about his life. And before that, he talks about all the various, if you will, awards and degrees and all those things that he was as a Jew and a rabbi, and he excelled more. But then he says this, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He said, I don't care what degrees I have. I don't care how people thought of me as an excellent rabbi. That all is unimportant for the sake of Christ. More than that, 
I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish. Now, that's a nice word. Paul is saying everything that you can do in this lifetime. I count, and, and the nice word is rubbish, but the real term is human excrement. That's what Paul considers this life outside of Christ. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Here's the one who pursued the law, was zealous for the law, and because he met Christ and understand that the law could never save him, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection did so. And so his goal is not to acquire accolades, but to know Jesus, to know him fully, and the righteousness that comes from Christ. About a year or so ago, I was driving through a uh, McDonald's drive-thru, getting breakfast or lunch. And there was a guy, for some reason, who was just having a bad day, I guess. And he was, had a sign, basically anti-Christian, and he talked about you Christians and your self-righteousness. I tempted to want to get in a conversation with him, but I decided, why irritate him? But I acknowledge that I am not self-righteous. The righteousness of me is a filthy rags. The righteousness that I claim is Jesus' righteousness. He's the one who makes me righteous. So it's not self-righteousness. It is Jesus' righteousness applied to me, which comes from God on the basis of faith. That so he goes, first, I want to know him that I may know him, know him fully. So the question I have first on this day that we celebrate his resurrection, do you know him? And I encourage you to know him. But if you know him, are you satisfied with the knowledge that you have of him? Or is there still a hunger to know him more, to know him more fully, to understand him, so that when he speaks, you know clearly it is his voice and not another. Again, a, a while ago, there used to be these little bands that would say, what would Jesus do? We, would so, we should so know him that we wouldn't have to ask, what would Jesus do? But because what we do is what Jesus would do that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I want to know Jesus and I want to know that power that raised him from the dead. And the awesome thing is, is that's just not a theological pursuit. The reality is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. It's called the Holy Spirit. 
And when we come to belief in Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes into us and the power of that resurrection is there. Now, unfortunately, it seems that our bodies take a while to change and our mind takes a while to change. And that's why we look forward to the resurrection when we will have a new body and a new mindset. But Paul says, I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now, unfortunately, most of us would stop there. I want to know him. I want to know his power. And if you hear most pastors, they talk about knowing him and about his power. And we all want all the good benefits. But notice the third thing that Paul pursues. And the power, I'm sorry, and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul says, I want to. I want to know how Jesus suffered because in there, there is a fellowship. If you have ever gone through really difficult times with another person, you kind of understand that. Men and now women who are in the armed forces who go through battles, where it looks like they may die. There is a bond that is formed within them that lasts a lifetime. Even separate from that, my brother, when he was in the military, never had to go through a battle. But going through the, the various trainings and whatever, he developed a friend who lived on the other coast, and yet he would continue contact with that person because they had gone through the same experiences. I have a good friend who he and I, when people judged us and doubted us and accused us, we formed a very special bond. Now, we don't see each other constantly, but there is that bond, even though that it happened decades ago. There is a fellowship of suffering. And Paul goes, the way I may know Jesus better and the way I may know his resurrection power better is to fellowship in those sufferings. After the resurrection, when the disciples were told to cease their preaching, and were beaten and arrested and sent away. They came back not going, poor me, how they mistreated me. They came back rejoicing, saying that we were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Because in that they understood the fellowship of his suffering. And so today is a day of victory. And today is a day that we celebrate Jesus' overcoming the death on the cross and his resurrection. And this is the day that we celebrate that he has forgiven our sins. And we celebrate that we will be changed, that our bodies will no longer be that, and that we will have eternal life. But we should also celebrate the fact that we need to know him better, that we need to understand the power of his resurrection better. And we should not be timid 
in acknowledging that we need to know the fellowship of his suffering. And Jesus himself told us that the teacher is not above the students. If they mistreated Jesus that way, they will mistreat you that way. And so it's not a lack of faith when you suffer. It's not a lack of doing the will of God that you suffer. It may be so that you may understand more fully what Jesus did for you and that you can communicate with him even in a richer, more full level. And so we celebrate today for his resurrection. But we celebrate every Sunday his resurrection because the church has gone from the Sabbaths to Sundays acknowledging that Jesus rose on this day and that we should start our week out in worship and acknowledgement of him. But I tell you this, if you only eat one meal a week, you su I suspect you won't be strong enough to do what needs to be done. So if you only come and worship God on Sunday, if you only acknowledge his resurrection on Sunday, if you only wonder about knowing him more on Sunday, if you only wonder more about his resurrection on Sunday, if you only know more about his suffering on Sunday, you'll be weak. But if you know him better each and every day, you'll know him more fully. And it is interesting. Now, I will use this as my last analogy before I close. You'll hear people who say, well, I've read the Bible once. As if that's some kind of achievement. I've read the Bible more than once. And every time I've read it, I find deeper and more meaning. And when we fellowship with the Savior daily, it certainly doesn't become boring. It becomes more rich and more full and more meaningful. And you fall more and more in love with him because you understand more and more what he did for you and how he loved you being who he is and who you are. The good news that Paul preached, that we preach, of the first importance, that Jesus died according to the scriptures for our sins, that he was buried, and I will say according to the scriptures, and that he rose the third day according to the scriptures so that we might know what God is doing and what he has in store for us and that we can trust him 2,000 years ago, 20 minutes ago, and 20 years from now. Because the greatest enemy that we may face is death and God gave us victory. And we know it because Jesus rose from the dead. And all God's people said,